hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. We have often noted with our friends from Sauce Magazine how tough the restaurant business can be. Even favorites have a difficult time surviving. Places of great reputation are no more. Think of some of the most popular like Duff's, Musil and Biggie's, Al Baker's, Ruggieri's and Rossino's. I could go on with a nostalgic trip down culinary lane, but we have someone in studio who's done the research. Longtime food writer and food critic Ann Lemons Pollock has put it all together in her latest book, Lost Restaurants of St. Louis. And Ann joins me in studio. Great to see you again. Thank you. I was very touched in opening the book and seeing the dedication to your late husband, Joe. Joe was with me so much writing this book, um, both when I expected him to be and he would pop up just very unexpectedly. It was quite a trip down memory lane, Anne. I mean, I looked, I mentioned some of the restaurants, but you have many more in there. And just wonder why they're not here anymore. Oh, you know, patrons go elsewhere. um, Families die off. The next generations don't want to keep the restaurant going Um, occasionally there's bad publicity, I suppose, but mostly it's a case of just running out of gas. You start with the World's Fair of 1904, and uh, I was very much amused by some of the things you wrote there, particularly with regard to while much of the food was a standard fare, if you will, for the time, a lot of it was pretty darned expensive for the day. It was expensive. This was, you know, World's Fairs have historically been showcases, and this certainly was. There was a lot of money invested in restaurants. There were a huge number of people to be fed, and while ordinary folks had lots of options, including bringing their own picnics, mm-hmm. um, there were also upscale things, and we can imagine people, upper-income people, coming for a particularly elegant dinner at one pavilion or another. Talk about some of the food that they were eating that was uh, pricey. Oh, my goodness. Well, the the great restaurant that everyone thinks about is the one that um, uh, August Bush and um, Tony Faust and a restaurateur from New York whose name is now almost forgotten, but a guy named Lu Chow, oh. who had a long-standing German restaurant in New York up until after the Second World War that restaurant existed. Lu Chow is very famous. Indeed. And they worked together on um, a restaurant called the Tyrolean Alps, and that was immense. There was a sort of a little, I don't know if it was a cable car or what, but you could go up to the top of this mock alp for the view over the fairgrounds. There were different Mm -hmm. dining rooms and an outdoor dining area. Um, it was, uh, there were concerts that were scheduled by choirs. They could seat more than 2,000 people at a time. Mm -hmm. There's a schematic of the kitchen. The kitchen, believe it or not, there were potato, there was a potato peeling machine and uh, a couple of dishwashing machines. Uh, None of this, of course, would have been possible had 
artificial refrigeration not been invented anyway. Mm. There were also, by the way, three wine cellars with all of this. But there were there were dinners at various places, including one European outfit that went bankrupt uh, after the fair because they lost so much money on their high-end stuff. And I admit I don't carry the contemporary tabs in my head, but I do have a copy of the book here and, and can leaf through it to get you the totals. But there were indeed stories in newspapers about men clutching their te- their chests when the checks were presented. Um, it It was sort of the equivalent of going to a high-end restaurant in New York these days if you weren't prepared for it. Yeah. Well, there are a number of myths that came out of this period, too. I mean, we've all heard the stories about the hot dog and the ice cream cone and all the rest of it. Are any of them based on real fact? Well, it's hard to believe that nobody had ever thought about wrapping a waffle around an, a scoop of ice cream before, although, you know, certainly it, it came into popularity here. And you can still view, by the way, one of the original machines at the family's restaurant in Norfolk, Virginia. I wrote about that for St. Louis Magazine several years ago when I was in Norfolk for a wedding. Um, but most of those things are, are, are kind of urban myth. On the other hand, we were the second place to ever have Dr. Pepper. <laughs> it was in Waco, Texas, and then they came to St. Louis. Were there any uh, uh, food vendors at the fair who went on to remain in the city and continue uh, an operation of some sort? Well, certainly Tony Faust was in existence before and stayed in existence afterwards. But um, there's not anybody around that I can think of or that I read about that uh, is still, you know, and still in the same family and still selling things. But there are other things that are still in existence. One of the restaurants utilized Grant's Cabin, which, of course, we now know is out at Grant's Farm. Any any others? None, none come to mind. Apparently. One, none, yeah. none, none fire, but that's only a building and not a food. Let, 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 let's move on to a somewhat more modern times. What do you think are the most lamentable losses of the, of the places you've looked at? Well, the place that everybody, the most common place that people said to me, be sure and include, was the Parkmore. I knew you were going to say that. Yes, yes. It's, it was apparently... And I only went there a few times because it was really hot when I was a teenager back, you know, during the Middle Ages. And um, I didn't, I, I really didn't come to appreciate it until much later when I discovered how fabulous their onion rings were. Mm-hmm. And now if you want to get the onion rings, of course, the best place for that kind of onion rings is Al's down on the riverfront, which is one of the three existing restaurants I've included. Yeah, that's very interesting that you point out that there, there are just a couple. You've got Al's and you've got the uh, uh, Crown Candy and uh, Bevo. Wh- well, Bevo Mill. Sure, yes, sure. ABC. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Well, they're still here and uh, thank goodness that they are. Getting back to the Parkmore, what was it about the presentation at the Parkmore that people were so attracted to? I don't know that it was the presentation as the as it was the accessibility. Um, for a long time, they had car hops, which was a new thing. In fact, that's it what was, I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah, it was founded by a guy who had a plant that made those trays that hung on windows. Mm-hmm. And even after that went away, they, they put in automated uh, the radio things for a while at one location. It was clean. It was, an, it was a menu that appealed to a lot of people. 
Um, for a while, I know they did breakfast, although that, that didn't stay around for very mm-hmm. long. But it was just kind of a universal thing, and it was just a little more expensive, which to me says that it was the sort of people that went there that were accustomed to going to slightly nicer restaurants. So uh, people who worried about Ahoy Palai coming in uh, weren't quite so bothered with that. See, the Parkmore located Big Bend and Clayton Road. Is that correct? Well, there were many of them. There yeah. were there were actually six. There was one across the street from the old KMOX on near McBride High School on mm-hmm. North Kings Highway. There was one on Chippewa, um, and um, let's see, I've got th- oh the and of course there was one at uh, Manchester and Lindbergh Road, which is now part of the Lou Fuse dealership mm-hmm. at the northwest corner. Um, and I'm sure I'm leaving out another one, but but there were there was there was a gaggle of them, which made it also another thing that people from all over town knew about and went to. Did they all go down at the same time? No, no, they went down gradually. And the one at the one at Clayton and Big Bend was the last to go. I think there's a Walgreens there now. Uh, there is indeed. Uh, yeah. I'm stopping by on my way home. A couple of others that come to mind that were so popular and uh, had a special character. One is Rossino's, which is an Italian restaurant. Sure. We'll talk about that. And Bush's Grove is another place that just kind of went away. Well, I, I think I think in one case, uh, Bush's Grove just kind of ran out of steam. Although, you know, which Bush's Grove are we talking about? Are we talking about the Bush's Grove that was the old establishment restaurant that was steaks and fried chicken and um, Harry Carey uh, meeting the press after he got sacked by the, the baseball cardinals? Or are we talking about the later iteration of it with the lalique glass handles mm-hmm. and so on and so forth? Uh, Racino's, Racino stayed open an extra 60, uh, six months or so because people realized it was closing and really, really gave it the urge. And there's another place that, that certainly pops up on the nostalgia meter, and that's King Louis, which just it was was an amazing place. But there's a postscript to that story, and that is that Matt McGuire, who, who, who ran it, now has another Louis iteration, if you will, that the people at Sauce Magazine say is the best restaurant in, in town right now. I don't know if it's the best, but I know it's awfully good. Um, Matt is in many ways the Danny Meyer of St. Louis, mm-hmm. Meyer being the Clayton kid who's done so well in New York. Sure. And one of Meyer's strengths is that he not only serves good food, he's, he's, he hires carefully um, I've always suspected Danny does personality testing, and Matt makes sure that his service and his personnel are operating well above grade. Uh, he's a big believer that that's an essential part of the service. And indeed, I was supposed to go have lunch there today, and I'm not going to be able to. No, <laughs> so Too bad. And we should point out Matt McGuire is the son of John McGuire, formerly of the Post-Dispatch, who was beloved by, I'm sure, Joe and Probably you and oh, many indeed. other people who know John. Indeed, indeed. John John was a superb uh, writer of feature stories. Yeah. So, yes, they go back. and We, we always include that when, when we talked about King Louis. What are some of the other places that you would like to mention? I, I, I think of like Duff's, for instance. Oh. I was so sad to see Duff's go away. It was such a, a, a standard bearer in the Central West End. 
Oh, Karen Duffy was a lot of help with the book, um, and, and the stories from Duff's are, are just incredible. We always relied on it as the restaurant where if you don't know how somebody likes to eat, you could always take them to Duff's. There, were, there was safe food and there was exotic food. Um, it was worldly enough to impress my cousins from south of St. Francis County and uh, worldly enough to impress Joe's relatives coming in mm. from Long Island. Um, it, it was amazing. The food was good, and it was just, it was just so wonderfully laid back. You mentioned early on some of the reasons why uh, these places, uh, you know, are no longer with us. Did the fast food industry have much of an impact, do you think, on some of these brand places? I don't know that fast food did uh, as much as what we're now calling fast casual. Mm -hmm. Fast casual has one advantage that St. Louis is very aware of. Fast casuals usually have the budget to be able to locate at the edge of a shopping center parking lot, which means there's lots of parking and people don't have to walk. Um, and in St. Louisans just don't like to have to park and walk very far to a restaurant. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that. I think, I think that that's, you know, you can argue pretty successfully that McDonald's may have done in um, the Barkmore um, it hasn't done in Steak and Shake, although it's certainly changed Steak and Shake. Uh, but but it's it's much more the the damage done to people who want to sit down and have a fast casual meal. So there's you know there's the damage. We've got a caller who wants to ask a specific question. Let's bring in Jim calling from Kirkwood. Jim, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, I used to seeing anybody from out of town. Um, my favorite place to bring them was Riddle's Penultimate in the Loop. Oh, yes. Um, I liked it because they had a, had a terrific menu, uh, the best wine list in the city, I think. And all of, their, all of their meals were from, like, Happy Pigs on so-and-so's farm. So it's all locally produced. Uh, so where would I find the equivalent of that now? And what happened to Riddle's? Well, Riddles is gone, of course, and Andy Ayers, who was the guy who ran it, became for a while a sort of a food wholesaler that um, marketed those happy pigs and those farm-grown cucumbers and exotica to other restaurants in town. And um, uh, Andy is at the moment in retirement, although I don't know that he's going to stay that way knowing Andy. Um and that's an interesting question. You'll have to give me some time to ponder it to replace it. But Andy was indeed had a superb wine list, and he was probably the first in town to talk about sourcing on his menu. You make the point in, in your book, uh, Anne, that uh, we can go back 150 years or more to show that St. Louis became a, a pretty good restaurant town because of the local vor uh, aspect to it, the fact that we had a lot, of, a lot of opportunity to grow food in the vicinity. We did. And the other thing we had was the river. Um, and trains um, that was, you know, the, the trains that almost brought us the, the center of, of the Midwest instead of Chicago. We, had, we were close to a lot of really good things um, up, until, up until the Heritage Pork Movement. 
I said that we had the best pork in the world here, and I'm, I'm not sure that that is true now, but I might make an argument for it. Uh, and we had access to good things. But oh yeah, uh, the tradition of, of Midwest cooking, using whatever was around us and so on and so forth, was alive and well. And then when you bring in somebody like Tony Faust, who brought in those oysters and fish like mackerel, which had never been seen in the middle of the United mm-hmm. States. And you could buy curry powder at Tony Faust's market, for example. So it was a great crossing of things that's almost the equivalent of the, 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 the cuisine that you see now that brings local crossed with influences from across the world. We only have a minute left. Uh, what is the health of downtown St. Louis restaurants right now? Mixed, mixed blessings. Um, uh, the, the, now that Kemal's is leaving, for example, on the other hand, I was at Tony's uh, New Year's Eve, and um, uh, other than the fact that uh, we saw Vince Sr. only briefly, it really felt like the old days. There's a rumor that Tony's is going down. That rumor, that rumor has been around for more than a year. You're not going to. You're not going to confirm it. Then. No, I'm not going to confirm it because mm-hmm. I don't know it to be true. Um, uh, but people have been saying that rumors that they were going to move to where Cheshire was and all. That's just you know who knows. Well, there's so much to talk about uh, with regard to your book, Lost to Restaurants of St. Louis, and. It's been great to see you again, and thanks for the book, and I highly recommend it if people want to go down that memory lane once again. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.